Welcome back. Today, we'll be discussing mental health among Black, Deaf, and hard of hearing people. Join us as we explore barriers and facilitators to the well-being of the Black, Deaf, and hard of hearing community. Thank you for joining me today, Nico. Um, we're going to be talking about Black Deaf mental health. Um, so I, I want to get started with you just kind of sharing who you are, what you do right now, and then we'll go a little bit deeper into um, some of the some of the research you've been doing. Okay. Um, well, thank you uh, for having me. So my name's Nicholas Milton. I go by Nico. Uh, he, him pronouns. I am a society student at the University of San Francisco, not for very much longer, but I, um, I'm currently on internship. So I'm, a, I'm in my last year and I'm currently on internship at Boston Medical Center, uh, working in at CMTP Center, Center for the Multicultural Training in Psychology. Um, and so I'm working there full time, 40, 50 hours a week um, out here in Boston. I was a question. I'm originally from Los Angeles, uh, from Inglewood. I went to USF for undergrad. I was a I was a society I was a psychology major, the uh, theater minor. And yeah, I think that's all about me. Awesome, thank you. And so, share with us a little bit about what made you interested in trying to better understand Black mental health. Black mental deaf. health or black deaf? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, for the deaf community. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I think so. Story time. So I'm hard of hearing, and I've always been hard of hearing since growing up. I, when I was a baby, I had a bunch of like uh, hearing infections, and I was constantly in the hospital, um, in and out the hospital. And so it wasn't until I got to college, and and growing up, I knew I had trouble hearing or difficulty hearing, but it was just never spoken about in our family. Um, it was just always something that I kind of had to adjust to, um, whether it be I sit in the front of the classes or I um, ask people to repeat each other. Like I would get teased because I was always constantly that guy that was like, "Oh, like Nico, say what? Like say what?" And so back growing up with that it wasn't until i got to college that i took asl as a one of my electives at usf and i really loved it and it was there that i kind of learned because my understanding was it was just kind of this medical issue that like i just didn't hear um as well and so it wasn't until i, I took my asl classes and i got exposed to kind of just deafness as a cultural piece not as a medical piece um, so big D deaf, capital D, and um, it was there that I got really immersed in the community and, and you being USF as USF, like they really value kind of social justice and kind of getting out into the community. And so a lot of my assignments were going into kind of the community and, and meeting people and just kind of seeing how it is um, rather than just outside of the textbook. And so having that knowledge, I took ASL, I think for two years, like four semesters of it. Um, and then I get to grad school. And when I got to grad school, I 
once again, my program really catered towards like working with marginalized groups and like historically marginalized groups. And so I think for me, a lot of our papers at the end, like of our classes, we have to do pick some underserved community. And in undergrad, I did a lot of that on just the black community. And it wasn't until I got to grad school that I was like, hmm, what is the mental health like in the deaf community? And, and just like doing quick lit reviews and lit searches and there wasn't much out there. Um, and so a lot of my papers at the end of like those courses would be catered around towards looking into like mental health within the deaf community. And then it wasn't until I got a little bit like further along in my program that I really became interested in terms of um, identity development and, and how we kind of uh, basically as people, especially like within like certain cultures, like develop our own cultural identity and like what that looks like. And, and so similarly, I was thinking around, huh, well, what about the deaf community? And then come to find out that there were some, there was some research around um, deaf cultural identity development, Neil Clickman is the, uh, the guy's name. And so, but then once again, it's kind of like, well, what about deaf identity, like deaf, black, black deaf identity development? And so, because I, I'm a, I, at that time I was assuming like, oh, well, if you're coming about it from the uh, like that inter intersectionality of like your blackness and your deafness, what does that mean for X person? And so then I did another lit review and there was nothing like it was very, and if anything, the articles were like 20 years old. Um, and so I was like, oh, well, let, let's do some research on this. And so that's how I got to my dissertation topic which is uh, cultural identity development and mental health concerns among the Black deaf community. That's really awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, you know, I'm really just sitting with some of what you said around your personal experiences. So I kind of want to jump into that really briefly, if you don't mind. How did it make you feel knowing that your hearing was different than everyone else in your family, but the fact that they silenced that experience for you? How did that make you feel growing up? Uh, I think initially it was, it, it was just one of those things of just kind of like, especially my family just kind of just silenced and kind of glazed over and I just adapted to it. Uh, I never really thought about how it actually made me feel until I was older. It was just one of those things of like, okay, well, I can't hear, <laughs> I can't hear as well. So I'm going to like sit a little bit closer to the TV. And, and I think where it came out or where it kind of like displayed itself was around like, which isn't healthy, but around like joking. And it just became like a very, oftentimes it was kind of like the butt of a joke or, um, or it would, it would be like, with, if I was with my friends, it would be something around kind of like, oh, well, we got to speak louder. Um, and so, but for me, I think because I like went in on the joke, it didn't necessarily, I think initially have a negative impact on me um, until I, I do remember when I was older in high school that Poppy, my dad, he, he was like, Nico, I'm, I, I keep telling you, like, you can't hear, like, you should go get a check. You should go get a check. And so he actually was the main proponent of uh, the main one that was kind of like, you should probably go get that check. And I think because no, it, it definitely was because I was like in denial uh, and it was like, oh, well, no, it's not that it's not that bad. And then there was just uh, it even feels gross saying it now. But there was just some kind of like I didn't want to like I wanted to distance myself from kind of like, quote unquote, having a disability. And it was like, no, like I was fine. Like 
I don't like, and so there was kind of like, and it even persisted into college um, until not wanting to kind of like face the, the music of, of like, well, just go get a check. And so I think just through growing up, just kind of that con con consistent, like having to adjust and having to kind of, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? I can't think, but basically having to kind of like reframe, basically kind of have a constant to reframe it. And that to the point that it just became so like internalized that it was just like, this isn't, I, I don't want to be like that. And so I definitely tried to distance myself. And it wasn't until I got to grad school that I eventually got uh, tested. Wait, but I thought that, so, you know, you were in my class and I had no clue that you were hard of hearing and I wish I would have known, but you didn't really disclose that, I don't think, to any faculty when you were in college. Um, but I feel like, didn't you, when did you start wearing any type of like hearing aids or assisted devices? Oh, that was until grad school, okay. So grad school, yeah. Okay. yeah. But I think once it got to grad school, that 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 was then that I became like I knew by that time I knew that and then even then when I was an undergrad and I was learning about the cultural piece and and all of that but it was just kind of like oh well I don't want to wear hearing aids because then people are going to look at me and think certain type of things and and yeah it wasn't until I got to grad school that I really was like well look you're paying for this education like you should be able to get everything you can out of out, out of uh this education and so I think that's when I finally went to uh, got tested and then got fitted for hearing aids and all of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you also mentioned um, humor and how humor played a part. You know, that's like a big coping mechanism in the black community. Rather it's positive or negative, I think kind of depends on the person and the situation. But humor is used often within the black community to kind of diffuse situations, to make light of situations. But that doesn't actually help if there's no real conversation or discussion about what's actually going going on and so you mentioned your dad and this is the last thing I'll kind of uh, I wanted to tap on <laughs> on the personal piece but you know your dad he says like you should go get it tested you go, should go get it tested but did anyone in any any shape form or fashion ever mention like sign language or ASL to you at that juncture nope no I didn't even know about it yeah have you ever asked your parents if they knew about it um i think they did but similarly i think it was kind of they didn't want to kind of like face the music in a way of, of kind of like oh well no he's fine like if anything he can just kind of go to the doctor and and maybe get a a, a surgery or something like that mm -hmm. um but yeah so yeah there was no kind of mentioning of asl or anything I and it was funny because it wasn't until I got to that I actually started learning ASL that I remembered back in like seventh or sixth grade for one of the um because I went to Catholic school and so we had to do the um Christmas presentations or something and like we actually like learned sign like we signed a song like a Christmas song and like did it as a performance and I I forgot God about that and it wasn't until I was just talking with somebody and I was like oh yeah we actually did sign um I think it was like Mary did you know like in in ASL um, yeah we see that's the part about language deprivation for the deaf and hard of hearing community that bothers me the most that the hearing community will sit here and teach hearing children how to sign but they your teachers probably knew that you couldn't hear and not one of them thought 
maybe Nico needs to learn ASL. Maybe Nico needs support with hearing. Maybe we should support him in some way that we're not. And, you know, that really contributes to a lot of the discrepancies we see between the hearing and deaf community. It's not because people are deaf. It's not because people are hard of hearing. It's because the hearing community does not really support deaf children in learning sign language the way that they support hearing children in learning sign language, which is a major, major issue. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not at all. So yeah, that was one of the other things that came up that I was like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. That's so sad and disappointing that they taught y'all a song to sign in ASL. But... Very performative, right? It was right, like, so there, was, performative. there was no, no, think about it. There was no, like, this is the history of it. There was that. They didn't probably know it themselves, but it, it was, yeah, super performative. Um, and this is, and this is, I went to black professors and or black teachers. And so this is, I mean, I'll get to it kind of like within, how like within the black deaf community is like, you're getting hit at all points of like, from the hearing, uh, the white hearing folks, the white deaf folks, and then the black hearing folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's talk about that. So let's chat a little bit about what you've learned from your research for your dissertation before we kind of close out. Yeah, um, so I guess I'll describe my dissertation. Uh, so given that my program is very clinical in nature, um, the dissertation kind of had to be targeted more toward um, I guess have a clinical uh, aspect to it. And so my dissertation is a mixed method study. And uh, the qualitative piece, I, I interviewed six um, providers that worked with the black deaf adults, um, with black deaf adults. And so providers meaning could be um, therapists, uh, could be educators, could be social workers. I think those are all the, yeah, I had, educators, therapists, social workers. And essentially we're just, I was trying to get at like, what are, well, I guess, so that was the qualitative piece. Then the quantitative piece, I, um, I had an online survey and I reached, and then that survey really targeted or was um, for black deaf adults. And there I was really trying to get at some of the, what are some of the, cause like there's not a lot of research in terms of what are some of the mental health concerns. And so like really just kind of like, all right, well, let's bring it to the people. Well, what could I can, I can use, I use the literature to kind of like based off some of it, but in terms of like, um, what, what, is, like, what is your depression level? Like what, 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 in, what anxiety, like, do you feel anxiety? Um, and then also I think the other issue that like a lot of research, like they really try to see it in a negative light. And so I tried to make a spin on it and really like make it strength-based. And so what are some coping mechanisms that you have? And so I, I was really trying to get at like, what are some of the um, coping skills that you have in place, if you have any in place. Um, and then also I was really trying to get at the identity development piece of kind of like, how do you see your blackness? How do you see your, your deafness? Because within the deaf community, um, a lot of deaf folks do still see it with as either a medical piece or a cultural piece. And, um, and research kind of shows that like lower, you have like less um, mental health concerned if you have kind of a higher level of um, identity development and, or I guess identity. And, and so with that, so that was the quantitative piece. And then back to the qualitative piece, this is where the clinical nature of it was, I, because within mental health, like you're not, 
it's going to be a unicorn that you would get ideally like a black uh, deaf therapist. And then even then, like, are we taking like geographically wise, like, where are they? Um, and, and so like, there's not a lot. And so that's why I was thinking about, well, what tools can we give um, other folks to kind of employ, like to kind of help them, like what culturally responsive tools can we give them to actually be able to work with uh, the deaf community, black deaf community, and also educate them in terms of like, well, yes. So what some of the things that were coming up with like, yeah, well, I don't really see it. I don't have a lot, I don't have a lot of black deaf clients. And then, and so really providing them, well, why is that? Like, are you like access wise? Like, are you um, communication wise? And and so I think that's some of the other pieces of like, when we think about trying to like provide these culturally responsive interventions and really just like educating these people in terms of like, well, this is what you need to kind of work with this community. Um, and so, yeah, and so both those were kind of the two marrying's from the provider side and the uh, Black Deaf side. That's really awesome and really necessary because like you said, there's a major gap in the research on these topics and there are not enough people really tuning in to the needs of the Deaf community from many from many directions, right? Like they're not doing it from um, providing language access, they're not doing it from a mental health, you know, standpoint. And so I think your work is going to be a major contribution to the field. Um, are you thinking that you're going to publish some of this work when you're done with your dissertation? I mean, after two and a half years of working on it, I definitely going to try to publish uh, it. Yeah, I definitely want to continue this work. Because um, one of my own personal goals is to get back fluent in ASL. I, I think I when I was an undergrad, I was a little bit better with it. But now just as time has passed, and I don't want to, um, like, if I have the skills, like, I obviously have the, the like the therapeutic skills. And so like, I did like, because that's the other thing interpreting, like, yeah, like the next thing, the next step was like, oh, well, I'll just get an interpreter to kind of have, but then there's a lot of research around kind of like that triangulation of having like an interpreter within the therapy session and how um, hit or miss, that, I mean, not even hit or miss, but how like, like negligible that can be towards the provider or towards the client. And then, right, also one of the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, and one of the other things, like specifically with the deaf community, and I'm sure other communities as well, but it's just confidentiality wise, the deaf community is really, really small. And so um, like, if you do have an interpreter that comes in, like a lot of like deaf patients aren't gonna feel comfortable um, signing and, and especially disclosing some of those things because it's like, like I said, the community is really small. And so then they're constantly wondering of, well, is what I'm like telling you, sharing with you, is that gonna get out to the, uh, to the other community or to the larger community? Yeah, so I think that would be great, you know, if you, can become fluent again in ASL because, you know, one, interpreters can make mistakes and they're not always 100% knowledgeable about, you know, specific mental health lingo or like language. And we know that like English and sign language are not a one-to-one -one translation. And so um, there could be a lot of miscommunication in that regard. And I think that would be dope because I don't think there are that many, first of all, therapists who sign let alone black therapists who sign so i think that that would be really awesome contribution to the field of clinical psychology 
Yeah. And then I think the other piece too for us or for anybody really is just trying to con constantly like providing resources. I think because I didn't initially, I was like, oh yeah, I don't really, I can't, I don't know any like black deaf therapist. Mm -hmm. um, and then it wasn't until I was like putting my feelers out into the uh, network, trying to see like for interviews that I actually found like a good oh, handful, but like like between five to seven. Um, and I actually got to interview two of them. And one of the things that they kind of shared a lot was just, yeah, just this idea of kind of being like, uh, what's the word? Kind of like being a part of this like invisible community mm -hmm. and kind of like being like the, uh, like the, the the minority within the minority and, and what that has been. And it's just in terms of like, they were, they were kind of sharing, like now it's getting a little bit better with social media. Um, and, and I think one of the other things that came up is just how now a lot of the younger, maybe not younger, but like a lot of the, yeah, I guess college age and maybe even high school age, um, black deaf, folks are like really trying to advocate for themselves and are really trying to like, and you see that you do see that on social media and really trying to kind of put forth that message out there of like, kind of like, hey, we're not invisible, we're here. Like, this is what black ASL is. Like, this is what ASL is. Um, and so really trying to use that piece. And, and also that's one of the other things that kind of came up from it is just this resiliency piece. Like, I mean, we definitely know how like resilient the black community is. And so, I mean, and then that kind of definitely carries over within the black deaf community. Um, it, 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 for me, even like tenfolds from what it, what it seems like, cause you're getting, like I said, you're getting hit at it from all angles. And so constantly having to uh, do that. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on to chat with me. This has been great. Um, I hope that, you know, my students can get some good information from you and have a new understanding um, of the mental health concerns of the black deaf community. Yeah, I, and I think another thing, cause it would not be, I must do my due diligence of obviously, like I, I wouldn't even say like, I'm a part of, like I'm a part of the community, but I'm not in the community. And so it, it's definitely, um, I have some people that can, I know people are listening. Uh, Dr. Joseph Hill, he's a, a professor at RIT um rochester institute technology um and then carolyn uh corbett she is actually like one of the like i want to say kind of like leading figures in terms of around like black deaf mental health um she's a professor at guided and then um right in california dr uh lisa stapleton uh she works at csun and she she's a hearing black woman but definitely i mean similarly to kind of me it, it's it's very much so she's kind of like really committed to the work and um and so yeah really trying to figure out like where my positionality is in the, in the thing and also really using that to kind of like bolster um like the folks that are kind of really really i mean i'm doing the work but really doing the work and really shed, shed some light on them and then the other piece is uh mbda like national the national black deaf advocates and so if your students definitely want to learn more, like just Google them um, there, they provide a lot of resources. Um, they have a lot of like regional conferences and it is that was one of the pieces that I found out about them. I was like, wow, this is actually a whole um, world here. And so, yeah, that's the National Black Deaf Advocates. Uh, so, yeah, look them up.
No, that's awesome. And that's a really good distinction to make too, right? Like there's being in the deaf community and like being deaf and like being culturally deaf and like being raised in the deaf community. And then like having a different experience as someone who's hard of hearing, but who wants to support and serve and um, really advocate for the deaf community. So yes, I appreciate you for making that distinction. Check your privilege. Yes, exactly. Check all the privileges. (laughs) All right. I appreciate you, Nico. Thank you so much. No worries. Yeah. Thank you for having me.